If you would open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, we're going to take as our text uh, verses 20 through 27, and the subject is Israel and the end times. And so we look this morning at Israel's situation and why they have a right to be in the land, but we really didn't have time to get into what is the end game going to look like? Because in Matthew 24, Jesus said these things are going to happen, wars are going to happen, this is not the end. And so what we know is that there is going to be war and unrest in the Middle East until the tribulation period. And uh, so just because those wars and things are going on doesn't mean that the tribulation has started uh, or, or that we can start marking those calendars. That, that is undefined. And so we come to Daniel chapter 9, and in Daniel he gets a vision that God gives him. God gave him a couple of different visions. One that's pretty astounding, I talked about in Sunday school this morning, was that God revealed to Daniel what the successive kingdoms were going to be after Babylon that he actually named Babylon, Medo-Persia, the, uh, the Greek, and the Roman empires with such precision that skeptics say there's no way that Daniel wrote his book in 586 B.C. because he could not have known that these kingdoms were going to follow. And so God used Daniel in a very unique way, and in Daniel chapter 9, he, he gives us really the, the prophetic hinge pin of the Bible. Daniel chapter 9 verse 20 says, And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I came to show thee. For thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So upon the Jews, upon Jerusalem to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined." And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. 28 to 30 percent of the Bible is prophetic. So prophecy makes up almost one third of your Bible. 
Daniel chapter 9, what we read here actually gives us the framework for that. It puts a timeline on things and gives us some indication there. The first thing I'd have you notice is the prophetic calendar in Daniel 24. Uh Uh-oh, our connection just lost. Let me go back here. Uh, The first thing that you notice is the prophetic calendar that is called out in verse 24. Do we have it up there? There we go. Uh, Seventy weeks are determined. Now, uh, that 70 weeks literally means 70 sevens. That term that's translated weeks there is like our term dozen. Uh, A dozen means 12, but just because I say a dozen, you don't know if I mean a dozen eggs or a dozen donuts or anything else that comes in that quantity. And so the language here, 70 weeks, is not weeks of days, but weeks of years. And so 70 uh, weeks of years are determined. According to the text, it's divided into three periods. There is going to be a seven-week period and then a 62-week week period and then a one week period and so it begins counting from the command to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple 49 years and then from there it goes on uh, another 434 years uh, until the Messiah is cut off the beginning of the decree uh, is set by uh, the decree or the beginning of the weeks is set by the decree of the Persian king Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple which happened over a hundred years later during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra and so that actually happened and so that's when we know to start counting that clock and uh, and the first two periods happen consecutively but for whatever reason you can see that they're conjoined seven weeks and three score and two weeks and so even though there's a division they all happen consecutively and if you do the calculations from the time that Artaxerxes gave the command in the month Nisan in 445 until the time that Jesus comes and is crucified it is the exact amount of time that is called out there Uh, those are completed at the time that the Messiah is cut off. And uh, if you're interested in that, I've got a couple of books I can lend you that mark it out and show you exactly the timeline and and how it's calculated there. But then there is an indefinite gap in between the 69th and the 70th week. And so we know that that first 69 weeks goes from the command to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple until the Messiah is cut off. And then there is this, this gap, and you'll see that there were some activities that take place. So, verse 26, After three score two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, not the Messiah prince, but of this other prince, uh, shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war desolations determined. And so it tells us something happens in between that 69th and 70th week, but we're not told how long of a gap that is. It is an indefinite gap. That is until we get to the New Testament. And in the time of Christ, as a matter of fact, Jesus is the first one who mentioned it, he tells us that there's going to be, if you think of it this way, a parenthetical period, right? So if you're writing a sentence and you have some information that you need to put into that sentence that's kind of ancillary to the main subject, you put a parenthesis in there. 
and, and it, it happens within the sentence, but the sentence is still going on. Well, that's how you need to view these 70 weeks, if you will. You, you've got this prophetic calendar that's being played out among God's chosen people, Israel, but then there's this parenthesis that is placed in between it when God deals with the Gentiles. Uh, Luke 21, verses 20 through 24 Jesus said, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out of it, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, we know that this happened in A.D. 70 when Rome uh, conquered Jerusalem, when the Jews had their resistance in the Roman-Jewish War. They literally tore down Jerusalem and they dispersed the Jews in what is known as the Diaspora. And so Jesus said, this is going to happen until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So again, it's an indefinite period of time. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't say there's going to be 70 weeks or 69 weeks or any of those things. He just tells us that it is until the times of the Gentiles. Well, my computer is not cooperating tonight, so let me go at it again and see if we can get these back up here. Not only did he say that in Luke uh, 20, but in Romans chapter 11, the times of the Gentiles is also mentioned. Uh, in Romans 11:25, it says, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, right? Those are God's chosen people, the one to whom the 70 weeks are get, given. Blindness has happened in part. It's not permanent blindness. It's temporary blindness until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Well, what happens after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in? So shall all Israel be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So we've got this parenthetical period in between week 69 and week 70 when God's dealing with the Gentiles. I know that that's been happening now for 1900 years. Uh, we read in the book of Acts that the gospel goes to the Jew first. Ultimately, the Jews reject it. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. And the gospel has continued among the Gentiles for the last almost 2,000 years and has seen much more fruit among the Gentile nations than it has among the Jewish nations. Have there been Jews that have been saved over that period of time? Yes, but not like it has been in the Gentile world. That Gentile period is going to come to a completion when Jesus wraps the church out and then the final week will begin with the Jews and God is going to call them back to himself the final week we find in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 begins with a peace treaty between a Gentile leader and the nation of Israel so Daniel 9 27 he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week 
And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice of the oblation to cease. So, uh, taking this, and there are other passages of Scripture that talk about this, but obviously there is war and conflict in the Middle East with Israel. And whoever this, this leader is rises to a position of leadership among the nations. It says that he's not a king, but he's given the honor of a king. And he negotiates a covenant or a peace treaty with Israel and secures peace in the Middle East. However, it's actually a deception. There is peace for the first three and a half years, but then there is persecution in the last three and a half years. If you've got your Bible there in Daniel, look over at Daniel chapter 11 where verses 21 through 27 tell us about the deception of this prince who negotiates peace. It says, And in his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him. And shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. For he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches, yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. Yea, they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. And both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. And so the gist is that this leader who rises up has the ability to negotiate a peace treaty, but he does it in deception. And in the middle of that seven-year period, he reveals his true colors, and he begins to persecute the Jews. The Gentile leader will set up an abomination in the temple at Jerusalem, and he'll actually set himself up as God. And so Daniel 9, 27 uh, says that he will put this abomination of, that makes desolate in the temple. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 21, that the, the abomination of desolation that was spoken of by Daniel will be set up in the temple. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 9 says that he will present himself as God and he will sit in the temple as God. And so we find that this Gentile leader reveals his true colors and reveals that he is the Antichrist. I found it interesting that Islam has a doctrine of deception called 
Takiah, based on a Quranic teaching that deceiving your enemy is not only allowed, it is actually commanded. That if you are not in a majority population of Muslims, that it is perfectly okay for you to lie and deceive them and act like you are loyal to them until you can get the advantage of them. And so as I look at Israel and the end times and, and put it together with what we saw this morning about the Arabs descending from Ishmael, not only do the Arab nations, which there's 22 of them, trace their roots back to Ishmael, but all of the Muslim nations knew because Muhammad traced his roots back to Ishmael. Every Muslim traces their roots back to Muhammad and there are 50 Muslim nations in the world. And so, to me, the indication is, is that the greatest unrest between Israel is not between Israel and China. It's not between Israel and Great Britain. It's between Israel and the Arabs. It's between Israel and the Muslim nations. And so, this seems to be pointing to the fact that this is going to be some sort of Arab or Islamic leader who rises to power and is able to negotiate peace. And so when that abomination of desolation gets set up in the temple, that's when the Antichrist is revealed according to Revelation 13, 1 through 7, when it says that for 42 months, which is three and a half years, that there will be great persecution and that he will wage war on Israel and that he will make them desolate and that he will cause them to flee. Here's another interesting tidbit that I found. The word Hamas in Arabic means zeal or valor in battle. Arabic and Hebrew are sister languages, and so there's a different nuance to it. So the word Hamas in Hebrew actually means violence. As a matter of fact, if you take a concordance and look up Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says that God saw that violence filled the earth. It's actually the word Hamas, that God saw that Hamas filled the earth before his judgment of the flood. And so we have a group of people today, it's an acronym, Hamas stands for another set of words, but it is a purposeful acronym because the word Hamas means zeal or valor in battle and uh, it was just last week on Friday the 13th that the group Hamas called for a day of rage for all Muslims an Islamic day of rage and so I I'm not trying to uh, have any phobia about Islam but the reality is that Islam was spread by the sword originally and that they do have a doctrine of jihad, which is holy war. And that they have a desire to be in control. I mean, think about it for a moment. There's 50 Muslim nations and there's one Jewish nation. One. How many? One. And they can't stand it. They actually have a phrase that they chant. It says, from the river to the sea. What does that mean? It means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. What they are saying is they want to erase Israel from the Middle Eastern map. They do not want a partition state. They are not satisfied to share any piece of property with Israel. They will not be satisfied unless Israel is completely 
removed. As a matter of fact, if you go and look at the PLO documents, the Palestinian uh, Liberation Organization, they have it expressed in their documents that part of their goal is to eliminate Israel from the Middle East. That's what they are trying to liberate uh, in their opinion. And so we find that all of that stuff is coming into play in the end times. And here's another interesting thing that I had never noticed before. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That I had never paid attention to before, but the very fact that these are martyrs who died by beheading. What is this, the French Revolution? Right, because the last time that there was mass beheading was in the time of the guillotine. We live in a time of drone strikes. We live in a time of weapons. We live in a time of... Uh, of, uh, of machine guns and rockets. So let me ask you, who beheads anybody nowadays? We've seen it in the news, haven't we? During this conflict between Hamas and Israel, that is one of their favored ways of execution. It is beheading. So again, I point that out to say, to me, it is pointing that all of this end-time conflict is going to be between the Jews and the other Middle Eastern countries, the Islamists. That all culminates with the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon, we are given a literal location. So Armageddon in uh, Greek and then Hebrew is Har-Megiddo, Mount of Megiddo. And the Mount of Megiddo is at the other end of the Valley of Jezreel. You have Mount Carmel on one end over by the Mediterranean Sea. And then you've got this large sweeping valley of Jezreel where uh, Gideon faced off with uh, 135,000 Midianites. Remember that battle? That took place in the Valley of Jezreel. And so we're told that there's going to be this great war in that valley. I, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I think maybe in our Wednesday night Bible study, but Napoleon actually marched on that field one time, and it's documented that he said that this is the greatest natural battlefield in all of the world. And he said literally all the armies of the world could line up in, in battle against one another on that piece of land. And again... That's in Israel. And so all of this, these, these troubles are going to come, and then that, that week, uh, that final week is going to start with this peace treaty. In the middle of that week, three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to reveal his true colors. He's going to break the treaty. He's going to begin persecuting Israel. Uh, they are going to be scattered once again. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be beheaded. It's going to look like they're, they're finally going to achieve what they've been going for from the river to the sea. They're going to annihilate the Jewish people. But Christ comes back with the armies of heaven to defeat the Antichrist and the united armies of the world. 
We read about that in Revelation chapter 17 when he comes on a white horse and he has a vesture that is dipped in blood and he bears the name, the word of God, and out of his mouth goes a sword and the armies of heaven follow after him clothed in fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. And when Israel is surrounded and all hope is lost, the eastern sky is going to part and they will see Christ coming. And he will defeat all of those armies that have united together against Israel. And then Christ will set up his throne, the Bible says this, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. He will set up his throne in Jerusalem and he will establish a millennial kingdom, a thousand year reign on earth. But don't miss it. His throne is is in Jerusalem. All of that just reminds us that Israel, though it is going to be besieged, though at times it has looked like all is lost, God has a plan and a promise and it will never be defeated. They have a specific role. God is not through with the Jewish people. Paul asked that question in Romans because there was this great controversy in the early church age because of the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and, and the question was asked, has, has God cast away his people, the Jews? And Paul answers, he says, God forbid, he has not cast away his people, the Jews. He says, there's this period, the fullness of the Gentiles, and when it's done, all Israel will be saved. That final week is for Israel. That is when God once again brings his people back to him. Because at this point in time, though they have the lineage of Abraham, they don't have the faith of Abraham. They don't recognize their Messiah. They have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And just being born with Jewish blood does not get you to heaven. As Jesus told a Jew in John chapter 3, you must be born again but know this God's not through with the Jewish people though they have rejected him though they may not know him now during that week of tribulation when they experience trouble like they've never experienced before there is going to be mass salvations of Jewish people there's going to be 144,000 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes who are going to be uh, zealous evangelists who are preaching and spreading the gospel of Christ during those dark days. And God is not going to forsake his people. He will return and he will deliver them. Well, that's our time for this evening. I know that there's probably a lot of thoughts bouncing around your head and questions that you might have. But in some ways it is good to have this time constraint because The problem with prophecy is that though it makes up 30% of your Bible, it is scattered from the beginning to the end. And if you and I are to trace it all out, we could spend years going from verse to verse to verse to verse, and we lose sight of the big picture. And so hopefully what we have tonight is just this snapshot that says, okay, I understand what's going to happen with Israel in the end times. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you have a plan. Not only do you have a plan for Israel, you have a plan for the church, you have a plan for us. And Lord, you are faithful to your plan. And though things may look dark and chaotic and may it look like that sometimes uh, 
the good people are losing or God's people. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful to know that your plan will never be thwarted, but that you, Lord, will reign victorious and that your people will be reunited for you. And so, Lord, tonight I pray for the salvation of Israel. I pray for the salvation of the Jews. Lord, I know that in that day and time there will be many that get saved. But, Lord, we live in this day and time, and we live with your chosen people who, when they die without faith in Christ, go to a Christless eternity. So, Father, I pray that you would use us as a church and as uh, missionaries to not just carry the gospel to the Gentiles, but may we carry the gospel also to the Jews, and may many turn to you in faith before that great and terrible day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.